0: Greetings, family, and welcome to today's reading of Daily Reflection and other readings. We're going to be going from faith to faith and um, limitless love, and and our little 24-hour book with all the insights and incredible information this morning. Let's go ahead and open our session with a morning prayer, the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Remember, it's a grant, and it doesn't have to be paid back. God gives it gracefully, graciously. Reading for today, Daily Reflections, Reaching Out, December 14. Never talk down to an alcoholic from any moral or spiritual hilltop. Simply lay out the kit of spiritual tools for his inspection. Show him how they work with you. Alcoholic Anonymous, page 95. When I come into contact with a newcomer, do I have a tendency to look at him from my perceived angle of success in AA? Do I compare him with the large number of acquaintances I have made in the fellowship? Do I point out to him a magisterial way the voice of AA? What is my real attitude towards him? I must examine myself whenever I meet a newcomer to make sure that I am carrying the message with simplicity, humility, and generosity. The one who still suffers from the terrible disease of alcoholism must find in me a friend who will allow him to get to know the AA way. Because I had such a friend when I arrived in AA, today it is my turn to hold out my hand with love, to my sister, or brother alcoholic, and to show her, or him, the way to, to happiness, I'm Fernando Alcoholic, thank you, Alcoholic Anonymous, that you left me alone, I didn't have, uh, someone talk to me, incensely about the program, but uh, I couldn't put it, on my plate anyway, I wish, I wish, I can see that uh, more of the new people will stand up for their, and fight for their sobriety and raise their hand and talk to the hand to the old-timers that burn them out. You don't see the newcomer no more when the old-timers get done with them. It seems like the, <clears throat> some of those guys that are talking to them, they're under the influence of some kind of uh, disease because they can't seem to stop talking those old-timers to the newcomer, and they burn them out. And it's sad to see them. You don't see them again. They come with the card, shaking for the first time. And certainly, uh, they're not in no shape to receive the politics of the meeting or the excessive if, if, if on their plates. Uh, or they say, um, there's no must in AA. You know, it's, there's 138 months. And even if we tell them all this, they still will not learn. It's like talking to a tree. They're dense. I pray that I do not become dense. I probably am some dense. You probably want to set a fire under me. <laughs> but what's in your hopper? What is in your hopper? What is in my hopper, I was asked. Well, you guys, through observation, know what's inside my hopper. It doesn't take rocket science that I'm here and I want to grow like a sequoia tree. (laughs) Anyway, our attitude towards the newcomer is to tell them uh, if anyone uh, keeps talking towards you and you had enough, raise your hand and say, talk to the hand, dude. You know, have the stone face, protect, let us protect our sobriety from others who are trying to explain God to us, explain the program to us. We have not chosen that person. Anybody that volunteers themselves to talk to you excessively without your permission, let us stand up to that. It happens a lot in the sharing, people are giving advice, and they don't. they don't have the courage to talk about their own lives, or... There used to be a song in the 60s, you know, You can't even run your own life. How can you try to run mine? (laughs) All right, let's move on. Thank you so much for listening today, December the 14th, reaching out. Let me switch gears here. Let's go ahead and pray out with the Lord's Prayer, please. Where am I doing? Where am I going? I haven't even done the 24-hour book. I sure got off on a tangent there, huh? Now you know where I'm at. Okay, AA thought for the day. The way of AA is the way of service. Without that, it would not work. We have been on the wagon and hated it. We have taken the pledge and waited for the time to be up with impatience. We have tried in all manner of ways to help ourselves, but not until we begin to help other people do we get full relief. It is an axiom that the AA program has to be given away in order to be kept. A river flows into the Dead Sea and stops. A river flows into a clear pool and flows out again. We get and then we give. If we do not give, we do not keep. Have I... Given up all the ideas of holding AA for myself alone. Meditation for the day. Try to see the life of the spirit as a calm place, shut away from the turmoil of the world. Think of your spiritual home as a place full of peace, serenity, and contentment. Go to this quiet meditate place for the strength to carry you throughout day's duties and problems. Keep coming back here for refreshments when you are weary of the hubbub of the outside world from th- from this quietness and communion comes our strength prayer for the day i pray that i may keep this resting place where i can commune with god i pray that i may find refreshment and meditation on the eternal wow beautiful beautiful reading today man out of the park guys it's a a wonderful program how many of us have wasted decades of running here and there and not? I did. And I knew in my heart that if I would just ground myself, put my bare feet on the grass in the 80s and, uh, and pen and paper and ask God for direction, the direction would come. I would be wiser in clarifying my uh, doing the same thing over and over, expecting uh, different results. That in itself is a valuable tool. Now, right right away, I I, I read this and I'm saying, oh, I'm going to grind myself two hours a day. To, to... I know I pick a day and I'll grind myself two or three hours one day and relax. I call it my rest day, and it's usually Saturday. It works for me. There's something in the atmosphere, and it's that's what we did when we. Went to school with our brothers and sisters, and on Saturday, we laid in our PJs and watched uh, cowboy movies all the way till 2 p.m. in the afternoon, and then when we were rested enough and our batteries were recharged, we had pillow fights, and then we got ready for the day, but Saturday was our happy, pancake, restful day, and it it worked charged up and inspired for the for the week for the coming week got dressed and went to church on sunday put on the bow tie that was our culture and i remember one time when i started going to grade school um i don't know what fourth to fifth grade it was i put on a white shirt i put on a tie and because it, it was picture day and everybody, look look there's a kid with a tie and the whole school was just amazed and everybody talking about the the kid with the tie well I had good self-esteem I guess you know God had a program I was running on way back then I love you God bless you let's move on here what do we got we got Kenny Copeland December the 14th, no deposit, nor return. Blessed is the man that feareth the Lord, that delighted greatly in His commandments. He shall not be afraid of evil things. His heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. Psalms 112, verse 1 through 7. Again, blessed is the man that respects and fears the Lord, reverence him, that delights greatly in His word, His commandments. He shall not be afraid of evil things. His heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. Are you ready to face a crisis? Don't wait until one hits you in the nose to find out. Prepare yourself now. That's what a couple of my partners did. They faced a situation that would make many people panic. But when the crisis hit, their hearts were so deeply established on the Word of God... That their first response was not one of fear, but of faith. What affected me most when I heard their testimony was one particular phrase they kept using. No deposit, no return. No deposit, no return. What they meant by that was that if you don't take the time to deposit the word in your heart now, it won't be there later when you really need it. You'll end up in a crisis with only doubt and unbelief instead of the fate and power you need to see you through in a situation like the one this couple face. That could be deadly. You see, their two-year-old son has suffered a fall that had cracked his skull and critically injured his neck. He had no feelings in his arms and legs and was unable to move. Yet, as they rushed him to the emergency room, a great sense of peace rested on them. Rather than crying with fear, they prayed in faith and declared, By Jesus' stripes, our son is healed. Sure enough, within hours, their boy was totally to restored. Even the x rays verified the fact that a miracle had taken place. What's important to understand about the story is this the victory was not won when the damage of the little boy's body disappeared, it was won all during the days and weeks and months before when his parents were listening to tapes and studying the Word and praying in the Spirit. It was one because these people had spent time building a foundation on the Word so that when this storm came, they were able to stand. Now is the time for you to build a rock-solid foundation. Don't wait around until you're faced with a crisis. Get the word in your heart in abundance now so when you really need it, it will flow out in power. Remember, no deposit, no return. Start making the precious deposit today. Beautiful, beautiful readings. And we're going to read Psalm 112. Okay. I just like to add prayer and good words changes the molecules and loads them up. It puts insurance in the molecules around us. Or you can say the prayers are already answered on top of our heads, like a bank account, that when we need them, grace and mercy will come to pass. Something in that nature. Okay, here we go. Psalm 112. Praise the Lord. Blessed, said the man, bless the woman who fear God, who cherish and relish. His commandments. Their children robust on the earth and the homes of the upright how blessed. Their houses bring with wealth and a generosity that never runs dry. Sunrise breaks through the darkness for good people. God's grace and mercy and justice. The good person is generous and lands lavishly. No shuffling or stumbling around for this one, but a sterling and solid and lasting reputation, unfazed by rumor and gossip. Heart ready, trusting in God, spirit firm, unperturbed, ever blessed, relaxed among enemies. They lavish gifts on the poor. A generosity that goes on and on and on. An honor life, a beautiful life. Some wicked takes one look and rages, bluster away, but ends up speechless. There's nothing of the dream of the wicked. Nothing. There's nothing to it. beautiful. Beautiful. Let's go ahead and read it in the uh, New Living Translation. The same psalm, Psalm 112, please. Thank you for listening and hanging in there. Praise the Lord, how joyful are those who fear the Lord and delight in obeying His commands. Their children will be successful everywhere. An entire generation of godly people will be blessed. They themselves will be wealthy, and their good deeds will last forever. Light shines in the darkness for the godly, They are generous, compassionate, and righteous. Good come to those who lend money generously and conduct their business fairly. Such people will not be overcome by evil. Those who are righteous will be long remembered. They do not fear bad news. They confidently trust the Lord to care for them. They are confident and fearless and can face their foes triumphantly. They share freely and give generously to those in need. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. They will have influence and honor. The wicked will see this and be infuriated. They will grind their teeth in anger. They will slink away their hopes toward it. It is the softer way to obey and, and give thanks to God, even for, uh, for bad things ahead of time so that's why we thank God for small stuff in training so when a big thing hits me like I I, I need a battery in my car right I thank God thank God thank God I do it so maybe I can now uh, someone happen to have a free battery somewhere okay? I give God a few days like this uh, guy that was homeless uh, and living in the cold three years next between two buildings and I gave him a few dollars Two in the morning, I'm delivering milk to the store, and he says, he says, when you pray, he goes, give God three days. He goes, when I pray for a pair of shoes, he goes, give, God's busy. He's taking care of all these people moving around here and there and everything like that. Give him a chance. Three days, folks. Ha <laughs> ha. Education out in the streets with the real people. And when I shook his hands, his hands were callous like a bricklayer. Just incredible amount of callous all around. What fortitude, huh? <clears throat> all right, let's go ahead and read one more reading, and we're done. Thank you for hanging in there with me. <clears throat> Limitless Love, December 14th. Merry Christmas, by the way. I love you. This is by Gloria. <clears throat> it says... Make an active effort to be kind. <clears throat> Proverbs twenty four seventeen. Rejoice not when thy enemy falleth, and let not nigh- thine heart be glad when he it. lest the Lord see it and it de- de- be pleased him. This pleases him. Proverbs twenty four seventeen. <clears throat> hey, that's a tough verse there. But <clears throat> we gotta be obedient, you know compassionate even if our enemy should fall actually his own words will get him here we go the bible tells us that god has goodwill toward man luke 214 and if we're going to walk in love we'll have goodwill toward them too not just toward the ones who are nice to us and to what we like but toward those who have done us wrong we won't allow ourselves the fleshy luxury of hoping someone will hurt them the same way they hurt us. And we certainly won't rejoice when we hear they're, they're fallen upon hard times. The Bible says God is displeased with that kind of attitude. He'll disapprove if he sees us rejoicing over the calamity of our enemies and saying, "Wow, well, I don't feel sorry for them a bit. After all, they've done plenty of bad things to others, and what goes wrong comes wrong. The Lord expects us to have the same attitude He has on the Bible. It says He takes no pleasure in the calamity of the wicked, but continued desires for even the most wicked person to turn from His way so that He can live and be blessed. Ezekiel thirty-three eleven. God expects us to be the same way. That means instead of hoping they get what they deserve, we're to extend goodwill toward them. We're to pray for them and to be helped and blessed of the Lord. Having goodwill toward someone means more than just forgiving them and refusing to be bitter or or wish them harm. Goodwill starts with those things, of course, but then goes even further. When we have goodwill toward someone, we make a choice to behave kindly toward them. We willfully choose to take satisfaction, and delight in seeing them blessed. Wefter's Dictionary refers to goodwill as having an understanding toward a person, to offer a gesture of conciliation, to show courtesy or respect, to express enthusiasm over benefits received by another, to make an active effort to be friendly, peaceable, and compatible. Remember this. Real love isn't just the absence of negative things like hatred, resentment, and unforgiveness. Love is the presence of goodness, kindness, and the blessing. So check up on yourself every now and then. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you if you have ill will toward anyone. If so, don't be content just to forgive them and let the matter drop. Take another step. Let the Lord show you something loving and kind you can say or do for that person. Make an active effort to be courteous and friendly to them. Be like your Father and extend goodwill towards your enemies, not just your friends. Amen. And i I like to add, in addition to that, if you're having a confrontation right now and you don't like your responses, your attitude, and you're checking on yourself, read 1 John 1 through 5 in the nighttime, and then read John 14, 15, 16 before you set out your day. I guarantee it by the by the fourth, fifth day, you'll have a shield of love, a shield of uh, enthusiasm, and a shield of wisdom and humor. And you'll say, "Why didn't I do this?" Put on those words, and you'll be able to whip the devil, who's the one behind everything all. I love you. God bless you. Let's pray the Our Father now. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Keep coming back, family. It's working. Of today's podcast. My name is Fernando, your host, alcoholic, NA, Non, overeaters. You got it. All of the above, please. Yep, I did it. I stole it. I screwed it. I connived it. I, uh, I burned it up. And I'm sorry. Forgive me. Boy, that feels good, huh? Let it go. See, we get contaminated every day with nonsense or wrong thoughts. Let's go ahead and uh, say God, forgive me of all my derelictions in the last 24 hours. Forgive me all my thoughts and things that are not agreeable with you. Help me align myself with your precious words and ideas. Thank you for forgiving me and forgiving us and making us brand new today, this day. In your name we pray. In the name of our higher power, how we understand him. You know, our chapter 11, step 11 talks about that he moves in mysterious ways, marvelous to perform. And it gets a kick about Getting us up and at them and getting us going. All right, let's go ahead and move on right here real fast like today we're going to be reading uh, Elon products, Courage to Change. Some of these incredible famous books, I believe. <clears throat> we don't <clears throat> we don't read them enough, Idol, December the fourteenth, it says, there are many forms of loss, divorce. Incarceration, illness, death Even emotional change When I lost a person I loved More than any in the world I was more than devastated And in my grief I pushed everyone away Thank God I had been in Al-Anon long enough To have awakened that part of myself That wanted help No matter what happened And so in time I once again began to work the program With the help of so many wonderful Members who had Help me and let me grieve in my own way and time. I learned to go back to step one, to admit that I was powerless over this loss and that my life was unmanageable. Once more I saw that the only hope for me lay with a power greater than myself. And step by step I learned to live with loss, with pain, with despair, until eventually I began to feel alive again. Today's reminder, Pain and loss are part of life. No matter what I do, I will not be able to change the fact. But with the fellowship to support me and the steps to guide me, I will be able to face and grow through anything that comes my way. And from in all our affairs, the pamphlet says, the foundation I have developed in the program not only makes me grateful when things are going well, but also makes me realize that the program works especially when things go badly. Fernando, grateful member of El What is in your hopper? CNN, and that's what I'm gonna get. Crashes and burns and idolatry and killings, my imagination. Instead of good literature, good words. Um, One day at a time, our next reading is, Sponsorship, what is it all about? Is the title of a booklet available to any member? This is a new thought to many of us. We may doubt we're strong enough in the program. We may think we haven't time to take on someone else's troubles being a sponsor is a great venture it is more than that it is a great education in human relations and in spiritual growth once we start we're amazed to find how much we have absorbed of the program and from this personal interchange and sharing the sponsor often gains even more than the sponsored. today's reminder it is not only the newcomer who benefits from having one particular person to look for the guidance, even the old timer in the program may find that another member with different and perhaps better insights can be of immense help. As one member puts it, answers came not from books, but from mutual caring and thinking out loud with someone you felt comfortable with. Again, answers come not from books, but from mutual caring and thinking out loud with someone you felt comfortable with. (laughs) <laughs> I love it, the way they put it to it. I would strongly recommend sponsorship to anyone in the program. It opens a whole new area of mind and heart. It is a big job, and you have to grow into it. My thoughts the same. First, I didn't think I could sponsor people because I didn't have anything. All I had was uh, service. And I started sponsoring guys in service work. They did what I did. I I did what my sponsor did. He was busy running here and there and everything, bringing newcomers, sitting down, being pleasant, going to breakfast, taking them places. Hmm, Very simple. He wasn't pounding over you. The fourth, fifth step wasn't pounding this and that. He was of service and he continue is of service. Like a cookie cutter. Sure, there's work to be done. That intelligent person sees the writing on the wall and gets to it. Doesn't wait for somebody to change their diaper. Write your fourth step, every year go and dump it on somebody In another town, that they don't know it. My my uh, December is a good time to dump it and clean up. December fourteenth for hope for today. When I feel my serenity being crowded out by fear and anxiety, I break down the Serenity Prayer in a clear and precise way that cuts through the deluge of my shortcomings. First, I broaden my acceptance to include everything exactly as it is, not only the things I cannot change. I look at my entire life through the lenses of gratitude, trusting that everything is unfolding exactly as it should. As my sponsor reminds me, God's planning and timing are perfect. I ask my higher power to help me accept things exactly as they are and to see the opportunities in my circumstances asking god for courage to change the things i can is dangerous for me at times if i'm not careful i overwhelm myself with all the various things i could change and i become paralyzed by inaction it helps me to pray for knowledge of exactly what god wants me to change at any given moment i think of the things i can change as the things god wants me to change Asking for wisdom, to know the difference, can provoke my perfectionism. I yearn to know exactly what God wants me to change. I don't want to make any mistakes. To regain perspective, I remind myself that everything is already in God's hands and that decision-making is a self-correction process. Wisdom is something I sense in my gut. If I change something and still don't feel right, I go through the process again until God's will becomes clear to me. God for of the day, how deeply and broadly do I apply the surrendering prayer to my life. I ask God for direction and wait, placing the problems in his hands. I ask for clarity and what I must do. He gives me clear directions. And that's on Having Had a Spiritual Awakening, page 40. I ask God for directions and wait placing the problem in his hands. I ask for clarity in what I must do. He gives me clear direction. I'm Fernando. I am a, a mem- good member of standing. I'm a secretary. Yada yada yada. coffee maker. How deeply and broadly do I apply the serenity prayer in my life? I think my problem is in waiting. I was thinking about all the 1980s and 90s the decades that just went without waiting frantically running from here to there pay the bills get the kids do this do that be of service and and not waiting i just knew in my heart that if i would wait and uh, put a stake on the ground on one day a week with pen and paper and ask god for direction and wait I would have probably saved twenty years of running around, placing the problems in his hands, clearly, and clearly waiting to see what I must do and thinking. He just thinking for one day a week, planning. They say that we spend more time planning a two-week vacation than we do our careers, our lives. You know, everything is by chance, or even our education, and what what's in our hopper? What's in your hopper? May I look into your hopper? <laughs> I was in a seminar once, and uh, it wasn't, it was, uh, it was, uh, well, they sell soap. You know what company it is. And the lady there, she started talking which Was very comical, you know, she started talking about um, purses to the other ladies, you know, how big the purses were. And then she said, uh, anybody got a big purse? I can show the crowd. And there was a big, you know, people had, you know, gallon sized purses, big purses, you know, ones you can put even a, a small stereo in their boombox. And she, and she had her husband go and pick out three or four of them so she can show the crowd on the stage. And as she lifted each one, she says, look at this one, look at that one. And then she started uh, going through the contents <laughs> and, and, and pulling out the stuff in there and what was in there. And because we were uh, uh, perfume and soap and this, and uh, jokingly she was find, trying to find, um, you know, uh, just bring out into the light what was in there. If there was a bottle of booze, it came out. If there was a bottle of uh, something, you know, that's, or anything, even a change of clothes. That was funny. It was hilarious. Anyway, I got off track. Thank you very much for listening today to our readings. Let's go ahead and pray out with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Let's go ahead and open with the uh, set-aside prayer. God, I set aside everything I know about you, myself, my fellow man, and this program for a fresh new revelation in you about myself, my fellow man, and these 12 steps that I may be better of service in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right, let's do the serenity of prayer, please. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference.
1: Amen
0: Amen. All right, let's go ahead and do a, a small reading for today. Uh, Rick, it was we're way behind schedule, but uh, let's go start on 4:16 if we may. It helped me a great deal, and each one can read two paragraphs. Uh, I don't know if Kimberly's going to read. Let me go ahead and start. It helped me a great deal to become convinced (coughs) that alcoholism was a disease, not a moral issue, that I had been drinking as a result of a compulsion, even though I have not been aware of that compulsion at the time, and that sobriety was not a matter of willpower. The people of AA had something that looked much better than what I had, but I was afraid to let go of what I had in order to try something new. There was a certain sense of security in the familiar. At last, acceptance proved to be the key to my drinking problem. After I'd been around AA for seven months, tapering off alcohol and pills, not finding the program working very well, I was finally able to say, Okay, God, it is true that I, of all people, strange as it may seem, even though I didn't give my permission, really, really am an alcoholic source, And that's all right with me. Now, what am I going to do about it? When I stopped living in the problem and began living in the answer, the problem went away. From that moment on, I have not had a single compulsion to drink. But, me? Yeah, Rick. Uh, Except as he yes, answered all my problems
1: today, when I'm disturbed is because I find some personal place or situation, some fact of my life unacceptable to me. I can find no serenity until I accept that person, place or situa- thing or situation as being exactly the way it's supposed to be at the moment. Nothing, absolutely nothing happens in God's when I'm sick until I accept my alcoholism. I cannot stay sober. Unless I accept my life completely on life's terms, I cannot be happy. I need to concentrate not so much on what needs to be changed in the world, what needs to be changed in me and my attitudes. Shakespeare said all the world's stage that all the men and men well the men and women are merely players. He forgot to mention that I was a true critic. I was always able to see the flaw in every person, every situation and I was always glad to point it out because I knew he wanted perfection just as I did. AA Acceptance has taught me that there's a bit of good in the worst of us, a bit of bad in the best of us. And we're all children of God and we each have the right to be here. When I complain about me about me, or about you, I'm complaining about God's handiwork. I'm saying I know better than God.
0: For years, uh, Kimberly, are you going to read? For years, I was sure the worst thing that could happen to a nice guy like me would be that I would be turn out to be an alcoholic. Today, I find it's the best thing that has ever happened to me. This truth, I don't know what's good for me. And if I don't know what's good for me, then, then I don't know what's good or bad for you or for anyone. So I am better off if I don't give advice, don't figure I know what's best, and just accept life on life's terms as it is today. Especially my own life as it actually is. Before AA, I judged myself by my intentions while the world was judging me by my actions. Acceptance has been the answer to my marital problems. It is as though AA has given me a new pair of glasses. Max and I have been married now for 35 years. Prior to our marriage, when she was a shy, scrawny adolescent, I was able to see things in her that others couldn't necessarily see. Things like beauty, charm, gaiety, a gift of being easy to talk to, a sense of humor, and many other fine qualities. It was if I had rather than a Midas touch which turned everything to gold, a magnifying that magnified whatever it focused on. Over the years as I thought about Max, her good qualities grew and grew and we married and all these qualities became more and more apparent to me and we became happier and happier. But then as I drank the alcohol it seemed to affect my vision. Instead of continuing to see what was good about my wife, I began to see her defects. The more I focused my mind on her defects, the more they grew and multiplied. Every defect I put out to her became greater and greater. Each time I told her she was nothing, she reduced a little in more into nowhere. The more I drank, the more she was it. Then one day at AA, I was told that I had the lens on my back, glasses backwards, so the courage is changing my serenity pyramid, that I should change my marriage, but rather I should change myself and learn to accept my spouse as she was, AA has given me a new pair of glasses and focus on my wife's good qualities and, get, and watch them grow, grow, and grow. I can do the same with an AA meeting, the more I focus my mind on its defects, late starts, long drunk-a-logs, cigarettes, smoke, the worse the meaning becomes. But when I try to see what can I, I can add to the meeting rather than what I can get out of it, and when I focus my mind on what's good about it, rather than what's wrong with it, the meeting keeps getting better and better. When I focus on what's good today, I have a good day. And when I focus on what's bad, I have a bad day. If I focus on a problem, the problem increases. If I focus on the answer, the answer increases. Page 420, please. Perhaps, perhaps the best thing of all for me is to remember that my serenity is inversely proportional to my expectations. The higher my expectations of Max and other people are, the lower is my serenity. I can watch my level rise when I discard my expectations, but then my rights try to move in. And they too can force my serenity level down. I have to discard my rights as well as my expectations by asking myself, how important is it really? How important is it compared to my serenity, my emotional sobriety? And when I place more value on my serenity and sobriety than anything else, I can maintain them at a higher level, at least for the time being. Accepting is the key to my relationship with God today. I never
1: just sit around doing nothing while waiting for him to tell me what to do. Rather, I do what is never me that needs to be done and leave the results up to him, however it turns out. That's God's will for me. I must keep my magic magnified mind on my acceptance and off my expectations. For my serenity is directly proportional to my level of acceptance.
0: When I remember this, I can see hey, I've never had it so good. Thank God for AA. Page 552, please. He said in effect, If you have a resentment you want to be free of, if you will pray for the person or the thing that you resent, you will be free. If you will ask in prayer for everything you want for them, for yourself to be given to them, you will be free. Ask for their help, their prosperity, their happiness, and you will be free. Even when you don't really want it for them, and your prayers are only words, and you don't mean it. Go ahead and do it anyway, do it every day for two weeks and you will find you have come to mean it and want it for them. And you will realize that where you used to feel bitterness and resentment and hatred, you now feel compassionate, understanding and love. It worked for me then and it
1: worked for me many times since. It will work for me every time I'm willing to work it. Sometimes I have to ask first for the willingness and two always come, but because it works for me it won't work for all of us and another great man says the only real freedom a human being can ever know is doing what you gotta do because he wants to do it this great experience has taught, released me from the bondage of hatred and replaced it with love it's just really another fermentation of the truth I know I get everything I need from all Anonymous and everything I need I get and when I get what I need I rarely find that it's just what I wanted all the time
0: Page 100, please. Both you and the new man must walk day by day in the path of spiritual progress. If you persist, remarkable things will happen. When we look back, we realize that the things which came to us, when we put ourselves in God's hands, were better than anything we could have planned. Follow the dictates of a higher power, and you will presently live in a new and wonderful world, no matter what your present circumstance. Page
1: 83, please. Page mm. three. If you were painstaking thinking about the space of development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. We're going to know a new freedom, a new happiness. We will not regret the door, no we'll sh- uh, should pass on it. We will not the past, or I do the- wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity. We will know peace, no matter how far down the scale we have gone. We will see how our experience can benefit others, and a feeling of usefulness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking so avoid our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and economic security will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle, handle situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. They are being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly,
0: sometimes slowly. It will always materialize if we work for them. Page 85, please. It is easy to let up on the spiritual program of action and rest on our laurels. We're headed for trouble if we do. For alcohol is a set of foe. We are not cured of alcoholism. What we really have is a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition every day is a day when we must carry the vision of God's will into all our activities how can I best serve thee thy will not mine be done these are thoughts which must go with us constantly we can exercise our willpower along this line all we wish it is the proper use of the will Much has already been said about receiving strength, inspiration, and direction from Him who has all knowledge and power. If we carefully follow directions, we have begun to sense the flow of His Spirit into us. To some extent, we have become God-conscious. We have begun to develop this vital sixth sense, but we must go further, and that means more actions. Page 43, please. Once more, the alcohol has certain times have no effect on a mental defense against the first string. Except for fewer cases, neither nor any other human being could provide such a defense. This defense must come from a higher power. DN, beautiful, beautiful. Thank you so much for helping me read. I got a little quotation from a book called Hope for Today from Elnon. It says, I ask God for direction and wait, placing the problem in his hands i ask for clarity in what i must do he gives me clear directions if i would have done this in the 80s and the 90s i would have saved uh, decades of running around again i ask god for direction and wait, placing the problem in his hands i ask for clarity in what i must do he gives me clear direction that's why it's so important to to for me to sit there in the grass with a pen and paper and and do those things and wait at least a couple of hours for, you know, putting the uh, placing, become skillful at placing the problems in his hands and then leaving a section where I can wait for his God's directions and then write them down, you know. And uh, I think it would make us, it would bring up a whole new world of help. He promises to help us, to direct us and to be with us. And uh, and to accumulate faster success. I love you guys. Thank you so much. Merry Christmas. Uh, who's out there? Anthony? Yes. There you are, young man. He's our, our youngest rabbit we have here in our situation. How are you? Good, good. Right here driving to work. Wow. How's the rain out there? Uh, It's good. Well, I'm about to see how the freeway is. I Wonderful. It's not
1: raining too bad.
0: <laughs> good. Well, you take care and, uh, and enjoy, enjoy the rest of this day. I hope to see you tomorrow. Thank you for chiming in. Just these words are so valuable. We put this in our hopper, inside our hopper, so if an emergency happens, we have a defense. And then we have we put in our request in the heavens, you know, to get the resources and for uh, for higher and better things. This is a good insurance policy. Thank you. Hey, Rick, yeah. thank you so much for being consistent and persistent. And I'll see you guys tomorrow, and God's willing.
1: All right, guys. Good? Take care.
0: Take care. Bye, Anthony. Bye, Rick. Bye. Bye. Let's go ahead and pray out with the Lord's Prayer, please. Keep coming back. It's working. Reading from Chicken Soup for the Recovering Soul, page 96. My Little Yellow Room, My Higher Power Built. There's a quote here by Ralph Waldo Emerson. It was high counsel that once I heard given to a young person, always do what you are afraid to do. It was high counsel. Always do what you're afraid to do. This is come to us from Shannon. For a long time, I thought the little yellow room was a recurring dream. In the dream, I entered a tunnel and scrambled forward on my hands and knees like a child climbing up a slide. At the end of the tunnel was a small square opening about the size of a doggy door, big enough for only my child-sized body to fit through. Once I made it through that opening, there was always a sense of relief. I had made it, once again, to my little yellow room. The room was the size of a small powder room, painted a pale yellow the color of cool sunlight on an early summer morning. Before anyone is awake, there was no fixtures or furniture, but there was a ledge that I always climbed to sit upon. Besides the ledge, there was a window with pretty ruffled curtains blowing in the breeze. Throughout my childhood and into my adult years, I remember these recurring dreams and sometimes wonder what they meant. They seemed more real to me than any of my other dreams, and other than a few repeated flying dreams which differ from one to another, they were the only dreams my mind returned to and time again. The little yellow room dreams were always the same, and the room never varied. I always sat beside the window and waited in peace. The year my daughter turned five, I started having flashbacks about what happened on the other side of the small square room to my little yellow room. I learned that the years that survivors of childhood sexual abuse often remember their abuse when their children reached the age that they were when they were abused started. I also learned the real reason behind my lifelong struggle with depression and compulsive eating. My mind had been at war with these memories for two decades. I learned that when physical trauma is too harsh to face, the mind protects itself and finds ways to leave the body behind. I learned that the little yellow room was not a dream and that psychologists called it dissociation. After three years of therapy and the support of a loving and wonderful husband and best friend, I found Overeaters Anonymous, a 12-step program for compulsive overeaters that treats overeating as a physical, emotional, and spiritual illness. I attended online meetings and found an email sponsor who would help me work through the steps. I wrote down every bite I ate and practiced abstinence. 12 little steps seemed like a quick fix, I needed to cure my eating problem. The first step was easy. I had known I was powerless over food for many years, growing up in a family of alcoholics and drug addicts. I knew to stay away from those drugs, but I had convinced myself that food was a safe way to numb the pain and stuff the memories. The second step said I had come to believe that a power higher than myself could restore me to sanity. I was less sure about the step, but I certainly hoped there was. I was thrilled the 12 steps were a breeze. I'd be down from a size 18 to a size 8 in no time. Step 3, however, brought me to a sudden halt. Step 3 said I was to make a decision to turn my life and my will over to God as I understood Him. I couldn't do it. Couldn't even say the words. Unlike the second step, I didn't even hope for it. I thought about the years of Sunday school, the little girl who showed up every week but was afraid to speak. Why hadn't anyone noticed? I thought about the church I belonged to when I first remembered the abuse, the grown woman who was moved to tears nearly every week and who once even had to leave the chapel mid-servant to compose herself. Why hadn't anyone reached out for to comfort me? I thought about the horrors that went on behind the little square door. Why had God allowed that to happen to me? I was stuck. I knew if I were to progress in these steps, I would have to examine my relationship with God. Step three said to turn my life and will over to God as I understood Him. I didn't know what I understood. I only knew the sense of panic I felt when I started to think about a relationship with God. My heart raced, my chest hurt, the abuse and the loneliness I felt afterwards taught me not to trust anyone, not even God. How could I turn my life and will over if I couldn't trust? I turn, as I often do, to the pages of my journal. What is my relationship with God? Guarded like with everyone else. Stand behind the yellow line, please. Call me on the phone. Don't talk to me face to face. Guarded. I am afraid. Afraid God will hurt me. Afraid he will not love me. If I open myself to him, I am making myself vulnerable to pain again. I handled pain by eating when I was a child. Also, I hid in the little yellow room. Hid. The next words seemed to come through me as, if someone else was guiding my hand. I wrote quickly without questioning. I hid in the little yellow room, and I know now that this room was built by God, so he is a carpenter after all. God, you built me that room. Thank you. That was a safe place for me to wait. I was stunned for 20 years. I thought the little Yellow room was a dream. Then, for a while, I thought it was some abstract psychological phenomenon, a defense mechanism that happened automatically to protect my psychic from the horrors of abuse. Now, I believe that a room was built lovingly for me by my higher power, as if he had come down from heaven with his hammer and nails, some sheetrock, and a bucket of pale yellow paint that looked and felt to me like cool early morning sunshine on a summer morning before anyone else was awake. Shannon. Beautiful story. Our next story is called Healing Tears. And this one is sent to us by Loretta M.B. Loretta M.B. It says, I had been Almost six months, it had been almost six months since our daughter, Candell died at the age of nine. After a five-month battle with a brain stem tumor, it was a, a devastation loss. But with two other children to love and nurture, there wasn't always the time to slip away and let the tears flow. Still not being made of stone, it wasn't easy to hide when the grief rushed in and made its presence known. It was around this time that I became aware that my youngest child, Celestia, was modeling herself after a gesture to urge my husband, Paul, and me out of our intermittent times of sadness. It was not her job to keep us smiling, and I didn't want her to take on the role of caregiver and keeper of her parents' hearts. She knew, however, there was a particular smile that she could flash at us that pushed our emotions to the side and caused us to explode in an unbridled laugh. Now this was a welcome change at most times, but there also needs to be a time of tears to cleanse. Rest assured, Paul and I were going doing our best to keep up a good front when the family was together. Yet moments of sadness might overtake us. When it wasn't easy to retreat into the bedroom, the shower, or schedule it for a later slot, these times were relatively sporadic, but to a six-year-old, it must be painful to see your parents grieving. Celeste came over to me as I sat pondering in memory. Apparently, sadness and loss must have been obvious across my face. Mommy, she said, as I looked up, answered her. She flashed the cheesy grin that usually precedes a spontaneous crackle, and true to form, it did. Because I wanted her to know that it wasn't her job to keep us smiling, I asked her to sit on my lap. I wanted to protect her heart, so I guarded my words carefully. Celeste, mommy likes it when you make her laugh, and you have a special way of doing that, too. Celestia smiled with approval. You know that we all miss Kendall, I continue, and sometimes we think of her. We will be happy, and sometimes when we think of her, it will make us sad. Thus, she isn't here with us. I paused to read her expression. Sometimes, when we're sad, we might cry. Celeste was gazing at me steadily and mirroring my facial gestures in an effort to empathize. The thing is, Celeste, that I know it makes you feel sad to see mommy or daddy sad, and you want to make us smile, but there's a reason for the tears. She was nodding her head to show her dislike. For our tears. You know, when you fall down and scrape your knee, yes, Celestia's so eyes were larger and intense. What do we have to do before we put the band aid on? Wash it. She was confined in her answer. That's right, when mommy and daddy cry, it, it is like God washing our hearts so that he can put his bandage on us and help us to heal. Was this really me talking? I thought as if I was receiving an example from God. Celestia was thinking of this over. Even though you may not like to see us cry, Celestia was shaking her head from side to side as I spoke. Sometimes we need to because the tears are actually helping us to heal. I held her face in my hands. And even though I love to see your beautiful smile, please don't be upset when you see us having a short moment of tears. Just know that God is helping us to wash our hearts so that he can heal them. We concluded our talk with a tight hug and a tickle, and Celeste bounded down the stairs to resume her play. Thank you, God, I pray, for not only helping me to explain to Celeste, but for explaining it to me. Loretta M.B. Woohoo! Outstanding. Let's go ahead and pray, be, uh, <clears throat> Our Father. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us of our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Keep coming back, family, for another cup of chicken soup from the recovering soul.